The Creative Relay is recorded, mixed and mastered at Smith & Western Studios. If you want to improve the quality of your podcast or start a podcast of your own, go to smithandwestern.com.au and get your first episode produced for free. I'm Paul Dunn and welcome to The Creative Relay, the podcast where Australia's most inspiring creatives talk to the creatives that most inspire them. Brought to you by Smith & Weston. Last time on The Creative Relay, Michael Walker spoke with esteemed director Steve Rogers. Now it's Steve's turn to pick up the baton on this issue of The Creative Relay. Steve Rogers, welcome back to The Creative Relay. Thank you. Now when you were here last time, you didn't give us a hint, I don't think, from from memory, about because I don't think you well, had any know. idea. I, well, I actually didn't think that I I didn't think that far ahead. And then when Micah told me I had to, um, it was all a bit terrifying. <laughs> uh, but here we are. Yes. And you've made your decision. You've, 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 I have. You've wrangled it all fairly well, I think. So, would you like to tell us who your who your guest is today? Well, when when Micah asked me, when told me that I had to do it, I I, I wasn't quite sure who to ask and then I thought I had this sort of cunning plan where I thought I knew someone and the reason that I asked them was because I was reasonably sure that they would say no right and then I thought I could get out of it but then I asked James McGrath and he said yes so then I had to work out what to ask him so anyway well let's get him in okay I did say James that the reason that I asked you to begin with um, above and beyond the fact that I wanted to talk to you was that I was pretty sure you'd say yes, no. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I pretty much probably should have. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> here we are. Well, here we are. Um, <clears throat> James McGrath, welcome to the Creative Relay. Thank you. We're very glad you could make it. I'm not sure that Steve is because you did thwart his plan, but <laughs> nonetheless, here we yeah, are. I'm, well, I feel very humbled to be asked. So, um, yeah, so... I, in many ways, that was it was sort of a yeah, a, a, a wonderful question that I probably can characteristically have said yes to because normally I would say, I would say no because I guess probably a bit like Steve, um, we just get on and do things. We don't talk about them. Mm. We don't talk about the. I mean, obviously, well, I guess we are thoughtful and we have a sort of sense of a methodology to how we how we do things. But it's but I guess particularly I'm aware that I've probably. We haven't. I haven't really talked about kind of how we approach things or what we do. We just get on and do it. And I guess the work, um, hopefully, is the thing that it doesn't really matter what you say before it or around it. It's actually the outcome. The outcome is the is the work itself. So that sort of says all that needs to be said. Now I know it's it's Steve's show. It's Steve and your show. But um, I did want to ask about that since you raised it because I think you are quite an enigma in a in a sense. Is that I- intentional that you've avoided? things like this I think yeah. it's it's ultimately just being very unusual for this industry you know being an introvert I think really it's just and, and someone who who contemplates um, deeply the process and the work that we do and the people that uh, and the environment we create for people but ultimately it's it's um, I guess it probably also comes down to just not thinking I've got anything 
worth saying ultimately that never stops most people yeah yeah well i guess particularly um yes yeah, so, so i am an unusual well i think there are probably more and more of us but there's a, we're an unusual it's an unusual um personality type where i was in a meeting the other day and of course enthusiasm now seems to be the hallmark of of people buying work um you know if you're not enthusiastic people find it hard to under to kind of i guess sense check whether whether they should do what you're asking of them and um, our client, um, our terrific, one of our terrific clients, uh, had to sort of ask me, you know, kind of, was I, what did I love, you know, this this idea? Was I enthusiastic? And I said, yes, this is me being enthusiastic. Um, so I guess it's a it's an interesting period we're in because there are a lot of people who who are charismatic and who do, and it's an advantage, I think. Um, it's very, in the absence of any other logic, to be there is a persuasive. Um, sort of edge to that. that Can you imagine how successful you would have been if you'd been an extrovert? (laughs) Yes, well indeed. You do get a lot of kind of smoke and mirrors though, I think, don't you? There's a lot of hype and not a lot of substance, I think, a lot of the time. How do you deal with that in the US, particularly when you're working? Do you you find, I mean, you've got, you're charismatic in in every sense anyway, but do you, you're not a kind of, you don't do showmanship as such, you do sort of integrity. How does it work when when you're presenting your treatment or like you just sort of said i mean you sit there in meetings and they say you know what do you think and you go it's okay and then you hear later on that i've evidently had a problem with something because i haven't been effusive about Mm -hmm. you know in 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 sort of you know supporting it um and then you have to explain that okay is actually me sort of being yeah that's you would know if it was bad but otherwise you know kind of carry on Mm. but um yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's why you're behind the camera, not in front of it as well, I think, you know, and you try and, don't you think? I mean, you, you, you do the work. That's what we kind of like, I guess. Is that is that why you do it? That's absolutely why I do it, but I think we are in an interesting period where where the kind of, the, you know, the, the short, sharp, you know, kind of elevator pitch, the tweet, the whatever, I mean, it's yeah. even on our briefing process, there's a, um, you know, there's been... There are moments where, you know, the, the, the sort of the message in a tweet kind of thing, the kind of context in a tweet. And I kind of I just think that there's in a soundbite. And I think that is there's a precision to that at times. But I think there's also there's a sort of loss of the to me, this whole industry. And I think particularly it's testament to your exceptional work. It's it's attention to detail, isn't it? I think that's the I thing that so. it is just it's obsessive. It's detail. And I guess the thing that we're just trying to work out is in an era where there's um, I guess decreasing opportunities and demands um, on our time. Um, the attention to detail—it's you, you have to know what detail you're applying your attention to because ultimately you can't you can't always craft the hell out of things. And sometimes, actually, the craftsmanship is the, the detail is lost in yes. a way. So it's quite a—it's an interesting era that we're in. But um, that's the sort of conundrum: is that it's it is that it's the time efficiency, it's the it's the process that we have to now go through. I think is um, you know when you're when you're detail obsessed, yeah. it's working out what the detail to worry about is and isn't really. Is that a cultural thing? You know, is that is that? I mean, I know that's your approach. My point is that that you've been doing you've been working at a very high level for for a very long time, and I guess that how do you build a culture and maintain a culture at that level over? you know, over a length of time like that. Yeah, building a culture over time, I think it's the thing that um, I've been attempting to do at different agencies and it's why I always wanted to work at Clemenger because I could kind of see, I always felt slightly miscast culturally, but I think you have to, and you've been fortunate enough to create your own company, Mm -hmm. but I guess I've never been gutsy enough 
to do that, but there is foolish enough, I think. Well, well was, uh, was my kind of yeah. well, it's and, and it's a it, it, so I'm a huge admirer of people who create that context for themselves. But I think to have a creative to work for a creative company um, with the ethos and the substrate of kind of what it takes to create the work that we do, because I guess doing creative work of, of you know trying to create work of it's of the highest standard because you want the highest outcome you want the best outcome because then the most effective method we've got is, is creativity you've got to have you've got to have a culture you've got to be in a culture where i guess creativity and the unreasonableness and the wonkiness and the strangeness of things that occur when you've got that kind of culture it's incredibly hard um corporately to have that as a sort of as a as a as a process how do you keep that on track though how do you stop work from becoming indulgent or frivolous or you just keep on coming back to that kind of philosophy when we obviously get presented with a particular task or a problem to solve and i guess the first thing we do is just try and determine if that's the right problem Um, and that's kind of tedious for some people but for us we have to go back and actually work out is that is the task we've actually been set the right actual task or is it actually symptomatic of something else that's that's another it's another part of the business and I guess we we always ask you know we don't really have answers and immediately we have lots of questions and I think we go back and do that so so I surround myself with people who have that same interest and you know forensic interest in trying to work out um, you know what is the actual problem we're solving how do we get to the heart of that strategically and then I guess surround myself with try and work with people who have a fascination with original thinking I guess authenticity all of those things and then ultimately people who can make that work brilliant and make it all that it needs to be I don't think you can you can do good work unless you trust the people that are around you you've spent time building relationships with clients that that then support you in in making braver decisions I don't think it doesn't seem that you can do that off the bat you know those things take time and 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 the sort of the the sort of the harder sort of forge those relationships are the more you can kind of make those decisions you know you can you can do braver work that's spot on I think you've seen that and we've used you in that way when we've been making trying to make you know good things um we I think there is that sort of the degree of difficulty and, and it's a hard balance because not everyone survives it and sometimes we don't necessarily perform brilliantly always but there is that disproportionate well it's just human isn't it the more the more dangerous the idea is the more difficult it's been the more procedurally hard the more hard fought for um, and I think the more argued with and the risk that's been taken it's a fine line but I think it's um, it's scary because ultimately if it doesn't work obviously there's a disproportionate downside mm-hmm. But most of the time it works and I think the feeling particularly of the endeavour and the risk taking only bonds you further and harder because there is no, there's no, you can't make this any surer than it actually is. It's not an empirical process. We can all do research, we can, but it is an instinctive thing and there's obviously as we head into understanding the the, the, the consumer more and more we understand their context their sort of their habits. There's no doubt that even with all of that understanding there are moments of logic that just break that and actually just when you thought you understood the situation perfectly it's completely broken by or completely surprisingly the rug gets pulled you talk about clients being emboldened by the bravery of going with an idea that you know challenges them a bit i guess that must take a lot of solace in the fact that you've done it before you know, you've got ultimate, um, so many examples that you've done 
previously for other clients, they must take some sort of comfort in the fact that you've been down this path before. Do you think that has helped in an ongoing role for you to to continue to challenge clients? I think it works in a couple of ways. I think that that's true on face value, but I think there's also, we get, and I think Steve, you probably have this situation constantly too, where you get asked to to create a version of something that's occurred before. Uh, so do a Graham. Yeah, well, and I, th- and I think that's the, it's, it, I mean, it's understandable broadly, but it's almost the sort of, because uh, you don't want to obviously, you don't want to remove that sense of, of possibility. Again, if I go back to the sort of sometimes saying, you know, being slightly introverted about things, but also sort of more methodical at times. And I think that doesn't always seem sort of innately, instantly reassuring because it looks, there's a sort of thoughtful, as you were saying, Steve, before, there's a sort of a moment of hesitation is sort of misinterpreted as actually doubt rather than actually just thinking. And I think that's the, so I think there is a, there's a trick, I think, not even a trick, it's just, I think there is, it's a, it's a, it's a good question, but I think it's ultimately there are clients who at times we've had conversations about wanting a particular can we just have you know dot 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 mm. and I think um, I guess you can't conf- you can't critique you can't be critical of that but it's it does it does remind you of of how hard that process to get to that idea that they're wanting inspiration from how hard that was to achieve <laughs> How important is instinct in what you do? I think the and I, yeah, I don't want to kind of answer it melodramatically, but I think there is <laughs> that would a, be good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think there. I think we have a problem um, as an industry in that I think that we we use instinct as a sort of shortcut, really, to to kind of just just do what I say, um, and if you don't feel it, that's fine. But just it's my instinct, and I actually think there's an industry. I think we aren't. We know we're not insightful enough we're not diverse enough we're not truly collaborative enough and so i think we've got to be very careful um how we use that that sort of stick really if if um or that 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 sort of wave that wand of kind of instinct and trust you know kind of what we're thinking i think that we have to get a whole lot better at understanding the context and i think that we we know as an industry we're not diverse enough we know as an industry that we're not collaborative enough um, and I think that's so. I think there are. We don't want to. I don't want to ruin our. I don't want to sort of. I guess burn all our nerve endings and kind of assume that we have no instinct. But I think we've got to make sure that we use instinct in the at the right moment when we genuinely have enough information. It's an interesting moment for us as a as an industry because I think we are, as our clients are. They're so there's a complexity to what is required of us. You know, modern creativity is that mix of you know, technology, you know, art, science, um, and obviously ultimately craft. There are all those combinations of things that we can't know enough and we can't have enough of the skills. There's a diversity to to the, the relationships that clients are having. They've got less money to spend. They're not really sure what's working anymore. They themselves, have, there's a loss of confidence. So I, I find inst- instinct and instinctive trusting instincts, um, and maybe it says, maybe it's why we're underconfident at times, but I think... I think we have to protect instinct, but we also have to be incredibly careful about arrogance because I think arrogance and instinct are sort of could be at times in the wrong hands. That's you know slightly interconnected. At times, we do inhibit ourselves through a lack of context or understanding. And often, our clients, you know, we used to always say we understand the consumer better than anyone. It's not actually true. I think clients, particularly service-based clients, have a genuine 
hour by hour, day by day. I mean, you can't be a bank, you can't be a telco, you can't be a technology company, a platform, and not and not really understand. But that's where instinct comes back full circle. And I think instinct does become critical yeah. in deciding what are those things that you respond to. I guess there's so much data around, isn't there? I guess that's my point, is that, you know, banks, whoever have reams and reams of information about who does what at particular times and what they need, at what point does that become overwhelming and dictate the kind of result versus you going, I know this is right, rather than being led by all that kind of information? Yeah, I don't know that we always apply quite when, we don't know when to apply instinct quite as easily as we once did. I mean, we all know that obviously there are, you know, there's the rules of comedy and there's the rules of, there are things that are genuinely, generally much more, you are, if you do this, this will be the result. So we do understand there's a rhythm to, I guess, art, all of those things. There are motifs and there are there's language and there's a sort of, there's, we know that we can create a context in, with particular sort of structures and things. So they're the t- age-old, time-old, time, you know, well-understood things. But I think we need to know enough. And I think it's just when is that point? When is enough enough or when is you know and how much can we actually know you know because the task there's a sort of bluntness to sometimes what we're doing and I guess ultimately you can have great understanding but ultimately it's got to fit in this particular context Mm -hmm. and that's why I guess going back to the the bigger organizing ideas we try and work really hard if we can to influence a purposeful um, bigger conversation with our clients so that we can because I guess we're interested but also we just need to make sure that the substrate has a has an active idea in it and has an active purposeful idea because ultimately that's what the it doesn't really matter the consumer is obviously ultimately thereafter they want to talk to the very individual who is involved in the making of this service or product and we have to make sure that the advertising the communication idea is exactly the same what's one of your do you talk about the organizing idea that what would be an example do you think uh, a recent one that that you're most proud of from the agency there are a few i guess more than money um for for nab is um is one of those examples there is over eight thousand nappies three years of childcare, 45 pairs of shoes 260 music lessons seven school camps, 26 orthodontic appointments, 18 birthdays. Some things matter more than money. We're here for your more. NAB, more than money. It's part advertising, communication language, but it's also, it's also quite seismic in terms of the... It's what particularly, the I guess, the leadership of of one of the country's biggest banks is prepared to, to you know, to to build into its thinking, and I guess it's emblematic of the, the idea that you know if you can't see a life, you know, we need to get you so you can see a life beyond money. We've got to get you through that point. It actually, it's not that we're not going to talk about money, but we need to see a life beyond it. So I think that's the, so it's, it's those kinds of. I just know that's a gift that keeps. I mean, there are lots of moments where we question, you know, is always, but ultimately having, and it's a basic test, but having a piece of language which ultimately is somewhere within each communication, if that piece of language doesn't actually fit the service or the um, utility or the product or the, if it doesn't actually work, it's actually incredibly, it, it compels it to be you know that particular service or detail or language or idea to be changed and I think that's the you know when you've got an organization as complex as you know a bank 
um, particularly and where marketing sits often you know at the, at the you know can sit in the seesaw it can also sit in you know it can sit below that it can often have moments of being overlooked i think it is really important that we try and have we try and have influence over organizing ideas so that when we come to a piece of communication everybody understands why that exists and i guess it has a greater sense of purpose to it and then what about something like um the tac project that you with patricia because you talked about collaborators and working with collaborators outside the agency is that i mean how, that's, that was an unusual project that one the truth is that cars have evolved a lot faster than we have the strongest man cannot hold himself from going forwards in a car accident because the forces are so great the most significant part of the body for injury is the head. Our bodies are just not equipped to handle the forces in common crash scenarios. In every way it was an unusual project because I guess the very problem was how do we explain the problem and how do we explain the impact um, and then how do we, I guess, make it, make it memorable but also, I guess, create a context that's, that's beyond classical communication. So... In many ways, the problem, it's a great example of the problem kind of, I guess, created the, the need for collaboration. The collaboration wasn't, it wasn't a forced thing. It was just we, need, we needed to create a context. And then I guess it came down to the, the creative integrity of, of, of the production process particularly, and I guess particularly calling out, you know, the creative team, Steve and Evan, and then in turn Sonia um, von Bibra, who's, who's had all the sort of intelligence and elegance of a great producer of work to understand ultimately what that idea didn't need but ultimately what it did need and I think Patricia was um, she under- she respected the idea she respected the problem and she respected the response to the problem and so we never had I mean there were lots of conversations about the nature of where this where Graham would end up in terms of museum versus art gallery and institutional nature of all of those things which are very philosophical and quite sophisticated um, conversations but ultimately Patricia understood and loved the kind of science behind and the behind the idea you know we obviously worked with with surgeons we worked with you know road accident experts we worked with a whole series of people but it just it was just the blinding common sense of of that idea and I guess it's like any great idea it's just it appears absolutely effortless you almost everything just gets stripped away it's like none of those decisions of why in the hell did how in the hell did we get to patricia how in the hell did did tac approve why did they make that idea how did it become how did it capture people's imaginations i mean all of those things were even the naming all of those things were sort of conventions that we thought deeply about but they are because of all that thought which is i guess again is testament to the attention to detail that we talked about before it's all stuff that is critical in the moment but then when it's there and it's embedded it becomes incredibly you know unsaid but i think there is a sort of moment where great ideas do take on a life of their own and they become um yeah they become effortless and all the endeavor just disappears there's nothing worse than endeavor i think showing in a in an idea but brilliant work requires i mean you've done it in endlessly in your projects you know all of the thinking that goes on all those micro decisions that you make at the time that you had to push for but ultimately when they get made they just they all just all appear and they're effortless and simple but they're incredibly complex and had to be justified um through the process i guess that's what happens with your work i, I just make it up as i go along that's the that's the the, <laughs> the difference i guess that's because not, it's that's not true though because i think you're working your and that's why you are who you are a bit like you know i guess 
all the, the great people that I love working with, you you see, you under, if we've solved the idea right, the idea, you're living up to the idea. You're living up to well, the idea. Well, that's all that matters, really, that matters. isn't it? You're yeah. just making sure that the idea is, is, is the idea that we all imagined it was going to be. And I think that's why we need great ideas. We need great thinking. We need integrity. We need to solve real problems because they're the ideas we all recognise. And we can't get that wrong. I think when we've got a half idea and it is instinctive maybe at times and there is an executional sort of taste thing, they're the most troubling, I think, mm. because they're the things that we're... Where ultimately, they're not decisions that you can absolutely empirically make. They're kind of half decisions. And I think there's plenty of work that we have to do like that, but I think it's the, it's the extraordinary projects where client, the problem, executionally, everybody comes together and there's a sort of neutrality. And I think that's, the, that's where we're all heading and that's what gives me great... Um, I'm so I'm so excited by the the future because we we just we we have so many canvases on which to be creative on. The dilemma is just knowing the elastic edge of brilliant of brilliant ideas is always at the outer edge of making. I think yeah. you know you're always things about to break and then it becomes new. And I think that's the difficulty is just making sure as an industry that we are we are endeavouring to understand. And I guess get the extremities of the making and the production process and the intellectual thought process. We're getting on the outer edges of that, so that it actually we continue to reinvent and we continue to do, you know, I guess push the boundaries. And that's where the consumer, that's the gift. I think that's where the brilliant moments occur. That the consumer, you know, the individual, the recipient of that message, loves you for it or hates you for it, because it's either it's either true or it's not true. Yeah. I think that's the best work. It just. You just it's undeniable feeling, isn't it? You just know that that's worked in a utilitarian, fundamental way that um, that that is great. And I think that's the thing about being. I think Australians, particularly, have a difficult relationship with creativity. I think we are culturally, we don't have that. You know, if you think about, you know, when you. Dealing with, you know, even within kind of, I guess, you know, European culture or the US or whatever, there's just a sort of continuum of, of thinking and ideas and integrity and, I guess, understanding of culture. It has, it has built over centuries and centuries and we've got this sort of borrowed sense of what all that is and I think we're suspicious of, which I think in moments is brilliant, but I think we're very suspicious of creativity and I think that's the, the other dilemma, I think, of working, you know, in this industry. You've got to make sure you, you keep that in check because we can't... We don't, again, it comes back to effort. We don't want to look like we're trying too hard because Australians hate that. But at the same time, we can't, um, we still have to endeavour to, I think, add to culture. I think creative culture is, in this country particularly, has moments of great difficulty and then there are great moments of joy. So I think we've got to try and, again, we're not an art form. I don't think we're art, but I think we have to, I think we have a great, in popular culture terms, we have, we have to remind, I think, everybody of the power of, of what we can achieve and what ideas are and aren't. And yeah. I think that's the thing that we that we probably we still cringe about and I think we still we have an awkward relationship with ideas and design and integrity and all of those things. And I think when you go into yeah, there are so many decisions that we all make on a daily basis that, that are kind of I don't yeah, we our demands of what how life should be lived, not in a fancy way, just in the most fundamental way, I don't think are always good enough because we're not really we don't see ourselves in the continuum of time. It's just a moment in time, and I think that's a. I think I think there's a, to me, in a U.S. context or a European context, if you think about the British, you know, just there's just a sort of embedding of thoughtfulness and where something sits in the continuum of time and the reinvention. 
um, of the principles of design or whatever it is or thinking we just I don't I, do you find that is that freeing or is it actually dangerous or one in the same no I mean I think well I think I think that Europeans perspective is design has solved problems over time so yes. there's a legitimacy to it where you know I think here we're suspicious or cynical of decoration but when you look at something like Graham when you look at a great idea the Sydney Opera House whatever it might be there's a an inevitability about that that I don't think people are then suspicious about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's yeah. it's it's got to be fundamental and it has to be as though it should have always been there. Yes. When stuff becomes flimsy, yes. I think pe- it's very easy for us to rip it down. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, but but and, and and back to your point. You know that's that's that the. the the solidness of that underlying thought, you know, makes those things feel like they've always been there. You couldn't imagine it not being there. Do, do you find, though, that the way we look at the world is a hindrance, though, to making more progressive work because of our cynicism? That's the dilemma I think we've got as Australians is, in, you know, in this industry is how, how do we remain true and useful? And I think that's the... And then at the same time, you know, I guess how do we also create moments, particularly coming back to... To film, how do we? It means the era. It's the sort of, it's the golden era of the screen, you know, and the small screen and the, every other screen in between. And I think that is the. So I think in film terms, you know, the the era of craft and the era of detail and the, all of those things. There's there's everything in between, and I think that's the where. I mean, that's a whole other category of mm-hmm. of of joy and also concern for us. I guess as an industry, is we've got to think carefully about. Where do we apply that? All of that endeavour and craft and beauty, um, and and then also at the same time, how do we celebrate the sort of makers and how do we celebrate you know individuals who are actually ultimately creating an authenticity and an ephemeral, disposable sense of you know I guess a brand, but also people are you know people themselves are brands now. Mm-hmm. You know I mean they're obviously you know recognisably there's a whole whole generation of you know people who who are quite comfortable and I think Instagram particularly if you think about that it's become it doesn't have any of the kind of it says so much but doesn't have any of the sort of the social demands that that so much of you know I guess social media demands but it it actually it has a sort of it's just it's a display I mean it's got its own pressure and its own I guess people wanting to sort of summarize their wonderful life Um, it's got all of the sort of dilemmas with that but ultimately there's a lot of um, there's a lot of creation of content and I guess everybody every client doesn't always know why they need it but they just want content they just want stuff to have um, but we've got to think about that carefully too because I think it's got to be purposeful and useful uh, you know and I only know from a from a film production point of view but every job this insatiable appetite for stuff with no real purpose other than to kind of fill a hole somewhere how do you manage that? I think again, it comes back to the precision of what you're doing, and I think you know, back to pollution. I think the the trickiness, you know, particularly if I think about the classical film shoot. Um, obviously, the single biggest has been the single biggest investment in um, you know a piece of commu- piece of communication. If we now look at, I mean, sometimes there are, are great moments for you know for seismic moments of film to occur. But ultimately, if we look at the shift in media, I mean, obviously, again, screens are different sizes, so we've got to, we've got to make sure we look at that correctly um, and how, how media is actually playing out. But I guess the digital requirement of, or the, the appearance of so much media and so much of where our clients spend money, you know, doesn't necessarily always support 
um, you know, a marquee piece of film. And I guess the other thing that we need to be careful about when we're doing ideas now too is that they, the idea can play out in ways that actually are are interesting for the recipient. So they, you know, they could be a, a narrative. I mean, and again, I'm not, I'm, I'm by no means, I think there are great marquee moments. I mean, it's, it's the golden age of the screen. There's, there's never been more investment in the making of, you know, a film production. There's so much, there's so much to celebrate in terms of film, but I think it's important to understand the context and again, the how we use film and the demands of film and where film will be seen the screen size it will be seen on the format it will be seen within and I guess the storytelling narrative of, of of an idea playing out sequentially or across across media is actually something we need to be very careful of I think there's been an assumption that we've had to make and a generalizing we've had to make and been able to make because of the bluntness of kind of I guess the mediums in which we've been working with but I guess the last decade or so we've seen a, a massive shift in that so I think there's the understanding of the context and there's the understanding of the of the kind of I guess the the marketing mix and the media mix and where an idea has to sit and then there's also just I think our own our own process I think you know we think about natural collaborators and we think about you know I guess specialists and you know I've been through the you know the CRM direct era you know and then you know obviously into integration into disintegration into you know digitizing digital's another thing like we've had so many layers we actually respectfully have had to really concentrate on and I think do our best through but in reality through all that process I think there's been a innate arrogance or an assumption that whatever all of us all of those things have to be understood but actually ultimately I think there's we've put ourselves somehow centrally as classical creative people classical advertising people at the heart of collaboration mm. and actually I don't think we have any idea because actually there's too much at stake for us to collaborate whereas actually if you look at we always thought it was specialists who were the were the kind of non-collaborators you know the I guess the all of those people who do the sort of extraordinary things around you know, around the mix but not in the central you know arrogantly in the idea space and actually it's actually we're the people who are actually least collaborative we're not the connectors because there's too much at stake for us and I think our so how should it work well, I just think that we're just not very good at listening, and I think we have we've seen it time and time again. As um, you know, if we look at you know, I guess lots of people have opinions around um, you know the more experienced side of things, the more technical, the more data led. We actually we don't naturally we don't necessarily we didn't like maybe five years ago what they were saying. We were in denial about what they were saying, and I guess now we've it, we've we've not the, the, it, you know it's a clear and present representation of where we're at in terms of the, the facts are clear and we're not necessarily great at we, we're not great at actually respectfully allowing a process to be I mean we've got lots of meetings we've got lots of people in rooms so we've got you know 20 people are in rooms um, you know that was the first stage of of kind of a collaborative process but ultimately you still need you still need to be open to powerful you know degrees of influence and I think it is you know we've been thinking about it a lot um, ourselves around kind of influences influence versus control mm. and I think that's the difference I think that's what we're attempting to move and so Paul Rees Jones who's head of strategy for us talks a lot about and it was sort of a, a, a language he coined around you know more influence and less control mm -hmm. and I think that's the thing that we've got to we've got to learn to to be curatorial 
and navigating and helping everyone navigate but actually instinctively we've got to allow everyone to take control and have a, and to make, let go yeah to let go yeah. and I think that's and it's not letting go because in a patronising way because yeah. we're you know oh let them see what they can do it's actually it's actually going to be better I think and I think we've got to learn that actually but where does creative leadership then come into it I mean doesn't someone need to sort of steer I've, the ship I've, I've definitely but then I guess the other dilemma if you add um, if you add the kind of uh, lack of collaboration, I think we also have to add that we, as an industry, um, we aren't terribly diverse either mm. um, in, in many ways. I mean, diverse in terms of skill set, but also from a gender point of view. And I think, again, we've got to be, again, it's not, a, I don't think, I don't want to appear to be that we're kind of, there's a loss of confidence to the point where we don't know what our opinion is anymore. I just think that it's actually better than that. I think we're actually just aware that our opinion needs to be very carefully thought through and I think we need to be we can't I mean in an era we're meant to be more efficient and do things faster I guess there's more more speed humps in the road but I think there are there are kind of seismic um, cultural references that we we can shortcut to a degree but actually a lot of I don't think we understand we don't always understand so I think representation and influence um I think we have to make sure that we are taking into account the diversity of experience but also the diversity of of the people that we're talking to and the nature of of their experience and I think we don't always we always shortcut or have shortcut over time but now we're getting right down to an experience we need to make sure that that person actually doesn't reject doesn't that experience doesn't in any way connect to them culturally or respectfully in a sort of gender sense or in a in a unique way it's actually not personalization at all it's actually the sort of worst it's alienation and I think so I think and then back to creativity I guess to me, creativity, the best of creativity is always on that elastic edge of understanding. Creative opinion is is really critical, and at some point you just need to decide. Someone just needs to call that shot and just say, this is what we're going to do. But I think it's making... Do you sh- think, and do you think that maybe that shouldn't be someone from an agency, for example, or how, how do you see that? I think it's just, I think it's just having, in, uh, it's having enough understanding, and I think we have, there's never been more data, there's never been more a sense of, of human behaviour than before so it's so I think we've got plenty of that it's just what are we making of it and who is deciding so there's still decisions that need to be made and curatorial decisions um, but I think there and I, so I don't I, you know it, again that's the, this that's going right back to the beginning in the collaboration with clients I think if with a great client I think they have they have a sense that they can't do our job and we can't do theirs but I think it is a collective experience and I think collaboration goes also to the heart of the client relationship as well and I think that there are moments where there was always a sort of big sort of theatrical moment where the idea would be patronizingly revealed you know and you'd reveal, you'd pull off the you know you'd pull off the you know the bits of paper and and it would just we learned we learned a long time ago that actually I love and we do it a lot um I love walking in I love walking into a room and talking to clients about about kind of our thought processes but ultimately everything is up everything is in the room so and even when we come to the final presentation to to kind of I guess talk through the options or talk through the language or talk through the kind of nature of how an idea is going to unfold we leave everything up because I kind of realized long ago that people actually almost humanly we don't you know even if I saw the sort of the, you know we always want to save the bit of language to the last minute and then do the reveal the theatrics actually, of it all it, people actually if they, apart from being enraging people actually don't it's amazing when you and we do it ourselves we don't actually we don't sit in the room and stare at the bit of language and go I hate it or we don't we're actually just not thinking in that way because we've not set up the meeting in that way so no one's having to be 
in that position of being judgmental so that they because I think that's yeah, in right. part the reveal actually gives everyone the shits actually we feel you're being sold to I guess yeah, exactly you? it's yeah. like there's, that's the decision and I think actually in many ways I don't think that we can be sure there is a de- there's not there's ultimately a decision of course that just deciding at some point is the idea but I think there's just a process you can go through and I think that's I mean we've been doing that for a long time now and maybe you know we do we do different versions of it but I think it's almost giving ourselves, but particularly our clients, permission to kind of to be involved in the process. I mean, there's still, you know, daily sort of conflict around, you know, what is a tissue session versus, you know. But I, I think we try and spend more time just talking about the problem yeah. and trying to work out what the problem is. And I guess through and that so process... so when you come to the conclusion, it seems a little bit more inevitable. I think so. And it's almost like the... pro. I think... Ideally, the sort of brief, the strategy, the kind of process is almost, it's in part the idea. You know, I think that's, we've already, we've already done the hard bit, which is actually, um, you know, and sometimes it doesn't work, but mostly it's actually, we've, we've kind of come together and we've kind of worked out just through sheer understanding, we've kind of solved, the difficult part is over. So the idea of the, the room with the reveal um, is actually, is, is gone really in terms of I mean there's still moments obviously where we're acutely aware of there's a sort of joy in that moment as well so we, you know you've got to play it carefully in that it is a it is a sort of service moment too and professionalism and I think that's the the other thing that um, I guess I've probably thinking about again these things always make you reflect on on kind of how you do things but I guess there has always been a professionalism that we've had well both as Clemager but I've probably always instilled in in the the kind of creative process and I think that's a again it's just maybe that's our problem or it's a solve, to solve for our, our problem rather than anybody else's but I think there's a I've never I've never liked sort of the excuse of creativity being kind of slightly um, you know sort of I guess messy around the edges I think creativity has got great precision to it particularly in communication terms I think that idea of applied creativity is you, you're making decisions that are very precise and I think I like the I like I like the creative process to be organised in that way too. I don't like it to be a sort of untidy how, how event. It, how does it? Because I was going to ask you about that applied crea- creativity and how you balance the kind of left brain right brain thing. I mean, where do you? Is there a point? Do you think where you actually turn off the rationality? Well, I think it's the other way around actually, because I think, and particularly working with Nick Garrett, who's if I thought I was analytical um, and glass half empty, he's completely subterranean on <laughs> on most things on how he sort of thinks through things, which is actually it's it's a it's a wonderful thing. Um, I mean, it can be difficult at times, but it's a it's a wonderful thing. I think the the thing that Nick has really reminded us all of is that is that people again going back to how we present work. People don't. So many of our clients actually aren't creatively in tune they're not they're actually they're thinking of the empirical they're thinking of the rational they're thinking of the and again it's if you solve the problem in the right way and you identify the problem in the right way with enough support and with the right rigor it's actually the almost the creative moment is the least exciting for them in a way um i mean they are not unaware of the power because obviously that's why they're marketers because they're that's obviously they're they're you know sophisticated and they know how communication has to work but it's actually thinking about the nature of how we how we talk to our clients and how we how we together work with each other because I think sometimes we can be we just don't we don't we think about the consumer we don't actually think about the person who stands between the consumer and us which is actually the marketer and the organisation and I think often the organisation itself is actually 
the rece- the recipient of the communication or the or the idea more than anyone. You know, they're the people who actually have to represent and embody this idea. We we will never be so rational as to be unrecognisable because we're obviously a creative company, and I think we can't underestimate the the kind of interest that that some of our clients have in coming to us because they know that we are culturally we are creatively charged. So I don't think we want to be so kind of laid bare that we're uninteresting. But I think there is a we're definitely thinking long and hard. And again, Nick has been driving that hard with us is just thinking about, I mean, apart from thinking about the actual outcomes, but also just thinking about how we talk about those outcomes is really, is you know, is is just being practical really about how people buy ideas and how we all receive and listen to communication, listen to ideas, listen to the salesmanship. Mm. We're not all the same, are we? We've, mm. We're looking for different hallmarks of, of things that we need and political pressure and all the other things that our clients are, are massively struggling with. Because I think that's the other thing is we just... We don't have half the time. We don't really know what it is feels like to actually be, I guess, commercially compelled to. I mean, decisions that they're making are incredibly difficult, and I think the communication side of things is hard enough. If you don't have instinct, or if you do, it's, it's just it's a it's a. There's just yeah. I think the way that they come to a lot of those meetings, their context is. I mean, it's pretty fraught most of the time. There, I think our clients are the the sort of unsung. You know, heroes really in a way because they're the ones who actually have to deal with um, I mean their lives are just full I mean they're in meetings basically if you think about mm. if I think about when we go to so many of our clients we're literally I mean I don't know when they get to think about the things that they've been told in meetings um, you know and I think some of the really great clients find time and they have a day in their diary each week where they actually um, digest yeah stuff. but I think that's the other thing that we're also is in it and it seems completely counterintuitive, but in an era where we're actually asking more and more of our demands of our, our you know our clients and actually our staff, we're having to find we're making sure that people are attempting to find time to actually contemplate not just the creative task but actually themselves mm-hmm. and their role in the world and all of those things. So we're trying really hard to also give people the space because actually it's ultimately that sort of balance is it, at times is just out of balance, and I think we also need to sort of switching across to the agency I think we're we're trying really hard to recognise that actually time spent not actually you know people come back to it refreshed or people come back to the actual task in a sort of renewed way Um, but often it's just being present is I think the real risk with an agency at times is just and you see it in a pitch context people are there night and day but and they're everyone's this full endeavour and it obviously it's got a buzz to it but ultimately people are there because they feel they should be there and I think that's a real in an industry particularly our, our minds are chaotic and I think at the same time we've we've used that again going back to our understanding of of the kind of people that we're working with we obviously we don't I think we've just been present at times was a sort of an expectation mm-hmm. of what we had and I think it's an it's an intergenerational that's just a that's a, that, that's just a miss we're just completely misrepresenting I think how people work and the endeavour that people, how people think, um, and I, you know, I guess particularly for a creative company, we should be acutely aware of how people think in the strangest places, and you know, doing the most unrelated tasks actually end up solving a problem in a subconscious way. But we're still very much, and again, it's a real risk with us as we have less and less resources mm-hmm. um, that we're expecting more people to do more, and we've got an intergenerational, we've got a generation who, who are who are you know their work ethic is well their efficiency is they see things a little differently and I think we've got to be very careful that we 
tenure and time and time taken doesn't necessarily mean excellence mm. for them. So I think it is an interesting interesting period. I mean, you're, you're, you, do you find that? I mean, you must have a spectrum of how, do, how, how intergenerational is your company? Um, yeah, it's reasonably broad. Our thing is very is much more singular than yours, though. I think you know what I mean. There's a and, and there's a hierarchy in the film industry that sort of has hasn't changed really that much over time. Perhaps mm. it should, but it's a look. It's a much more sort of focused um, outcome, I think. But no, people spend way too long at the office. I mean, that's still you know. Uh, but, but what about when you talk about thinking differently? And d- does that affect where you employ people from? Do you look outside those non-traditional pathways into advertising for, for new people? We have a. Um, I mean, Clemju again because of its size, I guess, and its interest in. Well, there's sort of a self-fulfilling um, logic to it that we we're acutely aware of the sort of I guess the the drain on on. Um, on this industry in this market I mean there's a huge vast um, movement of people being exported into the world um, you know culturally and creatively and you know in every sense every discipline across our business and then at the same time we've also got a real need for as we said diversity before and so I think you know we've we've obviously we've always supported and created a context around having um, I guess bring bringing a set of people into the agency you know in a kind of in, in in various ways to try and encourage a you know, different a different different path for people to come into our industry, and we have a thing called exceptions, um, which is basically a graduate program, and we take ten in, in well actually eight in Melbourne and a, and a handful in Sydney um, of exceptions to the rule, and they're people who I mean it's quite an interesting process, but they're people who would never naturally um, see advertising as. Um, or we would never see them as advertising material, and that's the point. Um, and I think it's been with it's now in its third year, and it's been a really, it's been an amazing process. And where the interview process is great, and we all get involved in that. And it's an interesting to try and identify somebody who's like, how do you how do you find difference, and then at the same time, how do you find relevance? So it's mm-hmm. actually a, it's a really it's a tricky thing. Um, and I guess there's a sort of fascination with our industry, but there's also um, you know, kind of cultural significance that we're trying to drive. So we've we've had interesting people who you know, plumbers through to lawyers through. I mean, we're not we're not the UK, so we don't have that sort of. I mean, there's not the sort of elite edge that that come into our industry like you know, in, in the UK. It's I think guess the industry is, still has that sense of sort of you know, Oxbridge, whatever. There's a sort of sense in suiting and and strategy and whatever that there maybe creativity is a bit more sort of. Um, diverse in its in its kind of um, you know where people come from, but we're trying really hard to I guess break those rules, not just in a discipline sense, not just sort of around technology or around I guess just classic creativity. We're just trying to find I guess people who have a different worldview and different experience. How do you go about getting a diversity of point of view? Or is that important? It's critical. It's actually our success in doing that. If we can attract and create an interest for that diverse group of people, and then if we can keep them and maintain an environment where they are respected, they, they feel a degree of influence but not control and they have a, they have a role and they have a recognisable place in the scheme of things, I think you know, it's, it's critical. That process that we're going through in terms of bringing those those people in, I mean, I think that is a, that's a part of it, but I think as an industry, we've got a long way to go, I think, mm-hmm. in appearing to be interested, not just appearing to be interested, being interested in and actually genuinely finding 
um, you know, extraordinary talent that doesn't, we don't recognise. And I think that's the that's the trick. I think that's the thing that the industry's. I think that most troubling is our we just procedurally we're very we're trying to create efficiency mm. um, but actually ultimately we're trying to create efficiency around the things that actually are ephemeral and are light 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 and then actually create great depth around the things that are really important and I think we've always had you know up until you know probably five years ago we always had a process that was pretty much the same no matter what we were making what we were manufacturing mm-hmm. and now I think we're we're working out much better how to create what to what to apply a great deal of effort to and then other things um, you know, don't require. It's not that not that we're being thoughtless. They just don't require that degree of of effort. And I think I think things are starting to free up a little bit in that we're suddenly finding that we we can our availability, our sort of mental availability, and our ability is actually in the right things. But I think as an industry, we don't naturally collaborate. And then in turn, I don't think we recognise diversity very well. And I think that's that combination is it's almost self fulfilling really. Um, and we're not appealing because we don't naturally respect people who don't look. And sound like us, and yet at the same time, we're, we're not. We know we're not attracting the always the people who, who we desperately need to have. When, when they need to have a voice, they need to be. They're critical to how we think, because again, going back to where great creativity occurs, it occurs at that elastic edge of understanding. And if we don't have our understanding, if we're not being pushed, and we're not, because it's also just humanity, isn't it? I mean, that's the the real thing about all your work, your best work, and the things that we've done together is just, is just exploring what it is to be human. And the weaknesses and the strengths of that. And if we don't know what human looks like, mm. if we don't know that body language and we don't know the plight or the the sort of pressure or the brilliance or the joy or the, the sweet moments that occur and where, where brands and services can solve problems and intersect, then we're kind of, we're in trouble. So, Steve, was there anything else you'd like to ask, James? Well, we didn't really talk very much about you. Good. Unless you did. No. Yeah. Good. That's ideal. I'm quite happy about that. I thought you might have been, which yes. is why I didn't ask earlier. But I share your, your reluctance to talk about any of that sort of stuff anyway. Yeah, I don't know that it's that interesting, is it? Because I've got such, such a logical trajectory into this industry, um, and I think that I have had the good fortune. It's been a very straightforward process for me and I was you know early on I was a um, my first working relationship art director and writer relationship where I actually it became obvious that that you know through that process that I would need just need to start making decisions even though it was uncharacteristic for me to actually take that charge and actually it was the greatest gift because I actually I became a creative director very 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 early and actually I've sort of I didn't ever have that awkward break where I've always I've largely worked with other people mm. collectively most of my career yeah. so I had sort of five years when I was working in a team but actually it became you know because of the size of the agency opportunities we had and I guess the, we did an okay job Where was your first creative director's job? So I was at an agency called what well, was called Box Emery and Partners and so it, was, it became TBWA in, in Melbourne in Coventry Street is, is, is our old building so I was, I, st- I was there for sort of eight years so I started I went literally left from Swinburne where I was did my degree and um, arrived there and it was a wonderful small agency and we ended up being sort of 120 people in the end and I was a partner in the end after those eight years and I became a creative director after about maybe even maybe even been four years five years so and I was still obviously working but I was creative directing people and so I've sort of I've, I've it's been a role that I've had 
for so long um mm. but i don't find it's not an unca- i don't it's not like i you know inadvertently walked in one day and saw something like i literally yeah. it's been incredibly i did did a design degree spent my third year out you, so you do graphic graphic design graphic design yeah. so worked for um mimo cozzolino who i don't know who you know but he's a most brilliant he was an archivist for every australian for every design mm-hmm sort of decision made through its our entire design history he created this compendium which was a brilliant book so I went and worked for him as a designer sort of year out and the third year out which was part of the Swinburne course and um, realised that I didn't have the patience for design just really really bad at it and actually and so went back and did my fourth year very much there were 12 of us in the Swinburne it was a pretty tight pretty it was the sort of the place to to do design at that point and so there were 12 in that final so I left very much knowing I was going to be want to do advertising and do ideas so I knew what advertising I'd worked out what it was um so I was but my path was incredibly straightforward really now James one of the rules is that when you come back next time you have to bring a guest and you have to give us a hint of who you're going to be talking to when you come back to us. Well, um, yeah, this is <laughs> as Steve said. This is uh, this is quite an interesting process because you have, obviously have the the nervous you're a nervous wreck just putting yourself in this position of having to answer questions, but then to think about who's actually going to be interesting and actually deal with with questions you know with with good answers. It's it's been an interesting process, and I, obviously I am to some degree because of my tenure in this industry, I don't lack a degree of, of influence over who I could ask. But I guess in many ways, I was sort of trying to show a different side to design thinking, and I think and the cultural significance of that in this in this in this market. So I have asked, um, and the person has said um, the same way I did, a very sort of nervous uh, <laughs> and slightly... I mean, if you ask in advance enough, they kind of will say yes, I guess, But but they have said yes, and I actually... I'm pretty excited because there's somebody that I have um, have had an association with, not necessarily a direct working relationship with, but I'm acutely aware of their their thoughtfulness and their contribution to our, us as a, I guess, as a um, in, in a design sense culturally. And so I think that's so. I've asked somebody who who I think will articulate and and create a context which will be could make for an interesting conversation. Sounds quite intriguing. We look forward to it. Okay, well we should wrap that up. So, okay. um, Steve, yes. thank you so much uh, oh, for, for you. participating. Thank You've done a great job, my, mate. My reluctant participation, yes. <laughs> um, no problem. No, yeah, yeah. it's been really great, mate. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for downloading the Creative Relay podcast brought to you by Smith & Weston. Go to our website at thecreativerelay.com, made by our good friends at Macadamia Digital, where you'll find a whole lot more info and extra content about the podcasts and all our guests. I'll be back next time with James and his mystery guest. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like and rate us. See you next time.